Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, the new show powered by hometown.com. Go over there and become a, a citizen, and uh, then go over to YouTube and follow us there, and then come over to Twitch and follow us over there, and uh, follow us on uh, Patreon, and go join the Discord, and uh, there's a TikTok, um, and an Only Mares. It's an elite website, but um, you can follow me there too. Just kidding. Today is February 17th, 2024. This is season three, episode 48. The rundown is going to start like this. Santos v. Kimmel, ABC and Disney. No, we're not talking about the politics of it. Strangers no more. Disco Elysium was amazing. OpenAI GPT trademark atop an ancient burial ground. OJ is off all right. Long-term impact of smoking, indoor farming, a different uncanny valley, and generate, it's actually generative AI search. Let's get into it. All good over there? Everything's great. So I am Mirwat, that is hometown.com. My head got bigger, I didn't get a haircut, and up there is the sentient AI from the future, the AI from on high. You wanna say hi, AI? Good, good evening, hometown citizens. Or hi. Hi, there you go, hey, hey. Okay, we've already got everything all lined up, so let's get into this. Uh, we actually have this show, and then after this show is Reality Hacker. That should be entertaining too. These will yes. both these will both become uh, episodes over on YouTube and to the podcast. Uh, Omtown is the overarching umbrella for all of the channels. So there is Omtown Daily News Show. There is um, the Continuity Report. There is Reality Hacker, and tonight we're announcing. Two new shows that are going to be launching starting next week. Right. Yeah. We're excited for that. Yep. So one is a gadget show called Wanted. And the other one is a deeper dive into technology called Technology Today. Both of those shows will be launching here on Omtown next weekend. Um, they won't turn into podcasts until later on so that we've got... Uh, a few more episodes and they all kind of just go bleh out onto the uh, podcast potosphere pot 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 potiverse potiverse wait a minute oh i thought you were going for podcatcher uh yeah well i mean you can catch them with any of your podcatching catchers uh, but yeah this is two more so we're we're now we'll be up to five total in hometown one-tenth of the total number of shows that Mayor Watt intends to bring to uh, Twitch primarily, then long-term storage over at YouTube and the community over there is growing by leaps and bounds. I don't know about leaps and bounds. The amount of uh, new followers, new, new uh, uh, customers, new clients, new citizens, I'm not sure the term, um, so citizens, new citizens of hometown uh, it's subjective. Uh, some people get thousands a day. Um, I'm happy with a few. 
As long as you are entertained, come hang out. Let's get into the first article. So you might flinch when you hear the name, but it, this is not a political article. This is actually about intellectual property. Um, I think that this is weird. I don't think that um, Santos should be referred to as um, congressman. He was ousted by his own party. Um, and um, well, <laughs> I'm becoming a little blah about that. I, I don't know how to go about this. Let me just start with how I normally do this. So this is a, mo a mobile aggregated article. Santos hit Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, with a lawsuit over alleged misuse of cameo videos claiming fraud. The article's uh, little snippet that we get from the source um, says, former Congressman George Santos sued Jimmy Kimmel on Saturday over alleged misuse of cameo videos the lawmaker has been making since being expelled from the House. The former New York congressman filed the lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, suing the late-night television host for fraud, breach of contract, unjust enrichment, and copyright infringement. ABC and Disney were both also named as defendants in the lawsuit. Jimmy, uh, or sorry, Jimmy Kimmel requested at least 14 videos from Santos on Cameo, a video sharing website where celebrities sell personalized videos. So the article is over at thehill.com by uh, Philip Timohia. Um, and there's a video here, but it has nothing really to do with this. Um, so here's the situation. <laughs> so Cameo is a website where people basically do little snippets of video. Um, and they say basically whatever you tell them to say. And they basically... Like they might give a birthday greeting for somebody yeah. from a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, or maybe they might pump up a, a product. We know of a, a CEO that actually wasn't a real CEO that you basically was formed by. And I've said basically a lot in this article. So what happened with the CEO was somebody paid a, a cameo actor to endorse a product and act like a, a CEO. <laughs> and it wasn't them. It was but, Hyperverse, correct? Uh, yes, it's Hyperverse. Yeah, I wasn't going to tie it all together, but yeah, thanks. I'm glad that you did. Um, yeah, the, so Hyperverse is this weird business that doesn't truly exist, except that it exists and has seemingly absconded with millions of dollars of angel and well startup investment but with this santos is suing kimmel at all uh for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars because it santos says the late night show falsely represented themselves as multiple users when requesting santos's cameos according to the lawsuit 14 different times um chose the personal license for all of the cameo videos with the intention to violate such licenses by broadcasting and commercially exploiting the cameo videos on national television, according to the filing. Pretty fascinating, right? It is. And I suspect that's going to be where this is made or broken, right? About the license terms. 
Yeah, so does satire allow you to circumvent the framework of licensing if you knowingly, here's the thing, if you knowingly uh, intend to use it for satire in a commercial environment, it's still a commercial environment, even if you don't have to get permission to make the satire, you still have to meet the licensing terms within which the request was made. Otherwise it is falsely representing yourself. It's defrauding them of the actual fee that would be associated. And they could make the determination to do whatever videos if they so choose, and because it's for per personal versus commercial. Go ahead. Also satire can be an exception, but it isn't always because it depends on what is used and how it's used and how it's acquired. I, I, I don't think that you can circumvent the protections of a license. You can say, Hey, um, I want you to do a video for me and that's fine. But if you know that you're going to be using it in a commercial sense, even satire, I think that you still have to meet those requirements because you're using it for the commercial sense. Um, I would think that the, if I make a video like this one, somebody could take this video and do something satirical with it. Why? Because I'm posting it out there and somebody can use it for satire and commentary. Now I'm not an attorney. Even if I was an attorney, I'm not your attorney, so go hire an attorney. But to me, the fact that they masked their identity, paid only the personal use license, knowingly intending to use it on their, their show. It wasn't somebody else, and then they gave it to Kimmel, right? And even then, there might be something... You know, hey, but I think that'd be a better case for Kimmel if that happened. Right. But Kimmel setting the environment up and basically people inferring from statements made in the show to go ahead and use Cameo to obtain videos from Santos so that we can use them in our show. You know, sure, he didn't well, say it outright, but. And I think this has another level, too, because if I understand Cameo correctly, Somebody's being told to say something, but they would only say it knowing the identity of the person or wouldn't say it. And so I think there's also another issue there. Like the video might not have existed, but for, for the misrepresentation. Right. And I think that right there is the key factor for even more of a uh, lawsuit. I, I'm actually surprised that they're seeking at least $750,000. Maybe it's going to be more at the end of it because of the phrasing, at least $750,000. Yeah, I saw that too in the article. Uh, mainly because Santos wouldn't have said the things that are represented in these little cameos because he was literally told, say these things, and then became the butt of a joke. I mean, obviously he's the butt of a joke anyway somewhat of a joke but it says could you imagine if i get sued by george santos for fraud kimmel said at the time i mean how good would that be if it would be like or it would be like a dream come true so since i started buying his videos his rates went way up to 500 dollars a piece he should be thanking me for buying these videos 
Okay, well, that's a whole other layer of problems. <laughs> He's very aware. Um, but I think that this kind of speaks to the fact that when you become, when you have power and influence, you have charisma and a crowd likes you, then you can pretty much do whatever you want. And you know, you can mock somebody else for doing exactly that using essentially the, the same verbiage. You know, I can get away with doing anything. It's almost like they will thank you for doing it, said a president once. Let's keep going. <laughs> oh, and before I leave, I will drop this over in the chat so you can go check it out. Uh, the next article I titled Strangers No More, uh, Wise or Ways. I'm not sure how they pronounce this or Wizzy, um, but uh, W-Y-Z-E, Wise is what I've always called it. But Wise cameras allow owners to see into strangers' homes again. This actually happened with another provider of these kind of cameras. Actually, well, two other providers. But I won't name those. Uh, five months ago, we wrote about your wise webcam might let strangers peek into your house today. It happened again. Wise co-founder David Crosby confirmed the issue in an email response sent to The Verge saying that we've now identified a security issue where some users were able to get see thumbnails of cameras that were not their own in the events tab. After an extended outage, um, the wise, that wise says stemmed from problems with AWS. Ten different Redditors, again, Reddit seems to be Reddit seems to be pumping out like breaking news nowadays, as opposed to the website formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, that's that's true. They reported that their Wise app showed them images from a security camera that wasn't their own, giving a view into other people's houses. Sean Hollister over at The Verge put the article article together. The deck statement says a Wise exec confirmed security issue. Uh, that showed users' thumbnails taken from other users' cameras. It's disconcerting, to say the least. Full access would have been heartbreaking. Um, but I don't understand why a configuration to some network, whatever, on AWS should allow thumbnails to traverse security. I know, that the stunned silence is... Right. I mean, there's Why? no reason for it. Right, 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 right. The only way you should be able to get to thumbnails is if the security apparatus in place has been aligned so that you have a tunnel to your information. Not sometimes because of an AWS misconfiguration, your thumbnails show up in random other places. Yeah, I don't That's get this. That's really concerning. I don't know if they're going to name anybody else, but so far they've collected 14 reports of this happening, but we are currently identifying all effective, effective users. We will also send notification to all wise users explaining what happened. Crosby tells us he linked the issue to overload and corruption of user data after an AWS outage this morning and said that wise was not or did not connect live feeds or send videos to the wrong users just the alert thumbnails. All right. So yeah, there was corruption of the data. What is in the thumbnails? I mean, 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. After the initial outage eased around midday uh, Friday, the thumbnail issue started, as the company reported, and apparently that was caused by corruption in the system. Um, at that point, the company had still made no mention of what the issue might have been, so it had been showing up for a little while. Um, and the article goes into deeper detail about the response, but in essence, this is the second time that that a wise-based error has let some stranger peek inside the home of others. Uh, and to have that happen even once is a cardinal sin when it comes to security twice. Uh, once would have made me question trust to the point where I would have pulled them. <laughs> um, now try and sell your wise cameras. Good luck, folks. Right. Nobody's going to be interested in that. Yeah, it's like 23 and me all over again. 23 and everybody knows me is now Too what, soon. Is now what the shirts are going to be. They're going to put like a, a little carrot and then everyone knows me. <laughs> right. Let's keep going. Maybe. Uh, the next article is over in Warcrafters. Disco Elysium Studio lays off nearly 25% of its staff, including the final remaining writer from the original game's credits. Um, they've actually laid off other people um, last year. Uh, this is a real sad day, I'd say, uh, because it says, according to a pair of reports from GLI Jeff, Disco Elysium developer ZAUM, I don't know if it's ZOM or if they just say ZAUM, um, has canceled a standalone expansion Disco Elysium codenamed X7 and is laying off 24 workers, including Argo Tulik, the last remaining employee of ZAUM, credited as a writer on the original Disco Elysium. ZAUM subsequently confirmed the layoffs and project cancellation in a statement to PC Gamer. That's where this is sourced from. Now, I never played Disco Elysium myself. I watched others play it. It was an amazing game. Um, for one that doesn't really match my style of gameplay, um, the story was spectacular. The sound was spectacular. The voice acting was amazing. I loved this game from beginning to end and all I did was watch somebody else playing it. Um, so it says while other members of the original team remain at the company, including Final Cut writer, uh, Justin Keenan, he was credited as an editor in the original release. It's alarming rupture in continuity of this game. Who knows what the new voice is going to be like if they do anything with Disco Elysium from this point on. Ted Litchfield over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And again, the uh, the deck statement says Argo Tulik featured prominently in uh, People Make Games documentary on ZAUM. Um, is now gone from the very company. Uh, and Disco Elysium, I think, made this studio, basically. Uh, as, as far That's as what I, I was kind of wondering. It looks like it was released in 2019. Um, but I don't know if they went on to do anything else. And honestly, I don't think that it really got much traction in 2019. I think it... I think... I'm trying to remember when I actually watched the the person that I watched play this was Co Co Carnage, um, 
and now I need to go and look to see when he actually played it. Um, but I thought that it was an amazing game. Um, it says continuing the 20th century communism theme to look like in the atmosphere at the studio after people make games documentary as transitioning from the Soviet Union to the fascist Russian Federation. Tulik further corroborated an anonymous source's allegation that women were discriminated against in the company. Quote, I know at least five women who have left or have been made to leave the studio since Disco's launch, naming Tonus Havel as a major factor. There are zero women in creative leadership and very few women in leadership positions in general. Wow. <laughs> Just kind of blasting the whole thing. Oh, that's interesting. Plus, that person was convicted of investor fraud. Wow. So it seems like it was it became a toxic environment. Oh, and they even say it right there. Um, developers failed to perform their duties and fostered a toxic working environment. And those who didn't, you know, probably who tried to fight the system were ousted pretty, pretty damn quick. Um, so in the early 20s, they actually started working on Disco Elysium. Um, Disco Elysium launches to criti critical acclaim in 2019. Developer interviews in the PMG documentary suggest it was a grueling development with nine months of crunch preceding release. That's pretty typical. There's a crunch period where they get all of the bugs out. Uh, March 2021, Disco Elysium, the final cut, a definitive edition of the game releases. Helen uh, Hindpeer, I guess, um, is credited as lead writer with Kurvitz and Rostov, supposedly working on a sequel. I, I must have, it must have been this period, but the pandemic really screwed with my head. Like, timeline-wise, I, I really don't know what's what really happened. <laughs> well, I feel like there was a time warp, right? I yeah. mean, everything was kind of slowed down and blurred together and then other things were impacting, right? Like writer strikes and it was just kind of a weird time. Yeah, and most of this toxic environment over at ZAUM um, came to bear in my mind in December of 2022. Um, or around 2022, I think it is, uh, when there were lawsuits and, and really big discussions about this. Um, and then it seemed to just disappear. And so now, 2024, they cancel a, a, a Disco Elysium project named codenamed X7 um, and lay off 24 people. I think essentially the Streisand effect of toxic environment and then people getting fired to try and quiet this um, has led to its implosion. I wouldn't be surprised if ZAUM completely disappears, but we'll see. Um, with enough money, <laughs> I guess anything is possible. So let's keep going. Um, before I do that, let me throw this into the chat. I failed to do that. Sorry about that. There you go. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. OpenAI can't register GPT as a trademark yet. Uh, today we're talking about AI, not AI stuff, but intellectual property a little bit. Um, that first one was about intellectual property. This one is about intellectual property. Well, we've got a couple of other things. Um, like it was a heavy IP day in the news. And if you're, no, I was going to say, crack a joke about if you're not uh, 
on the web and you're not off the web, what are you? I don't know. Never mind. I, I being, um, okay. <laughs> the U S patent and trademark office or PTO has denied OpenAI's application to register the word uh, GPT, which means generative pre-trained transformer saying GPT is too general a term to register and can prevent competitors from correctly describing their products as a GPT. Open I AI. think this is the first time I've seen GPT actually written out. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's used all over the place, but how do you trademark just the three letters GPT? But I've, I, I mean, if you can trademark the, then <laughs> exactly the gates are open, right? You can do anything. OpenAI argued its application that GPT is not a descriptive word, that GPT isn't such a general term that consumers would immediately understand what it means. They do not understand what that means. They understand what GPT means in the semiotic ontological form of it has acquired a meaning. And I guarantee you, anybody who hears GPT thinks it's AI. Nothing else. Oh, GPT? I've heard of that. Really? What does it mean? AI. It is an right. acquired. Would they go a step further and think it's open AI, right? Exactly. If they know of the company name. Yeah. If they know of AI, uh, of open AI, then they would sit there and say it's open AI. So this thing has acquired, GPT has acquired in the general consumer market, it has acquired meaning of open AI and AI specifically. Other than that, no common consumer is going to sit there and go, oh, it means generative pre-trained transformer. It isn't a general term. Yeah. Um, so not, I mean, it hasn't gotten so big, right? So the term GPT was deemed too general for OpenAI to claim as its own. I think that that's wrong. I, I really do. Now, because the well has been poisoned with disclosure that it's being coined as being too general, everybody and their grandmother can start using GPT in their name, uh, in their nomenclature. And that will genericize GPT right out from under OpenAI. So um, at least that's how I'm calling it. It might be a bad take in six months, but I really, I really, really doubt it. Well, so, remember, we're still waiting for the announcement of Senshi and AI. So. Hey, man, uh, 45 days. Um, the term GPT became closely tied to OpenAI after ChatGPT and its AI models, GPT-3, 4, 5, 6, 28, whatever it's going to become, became popular. When it opened ChatGPT to outside developers, the company called its custom chatbots GPTs as well. Lately, OpenAI has been giving uh, distinct brand names to other services, although it recently released its text-to-video generation model named Sora, and it's referred to as Sora, not a GPT. But it is a service, a product named Sora. I can, again, almost guarantee you behind the scenes GPT-like nomenclature is being used to tie the graphical large language model equivalent to the verbal, the, the textual, and the contextual 
GPTs. So they're basically trying to avoid the whole trademark issue by coming up with actual names now, which actually may do some disservice to GPT as a, a, a trademark. Exactly. Cause the main one is chat GPT. So I think yeah. that's going to be interesting. And again, this is what happens, you know, uh, nobody wanted the smiley until the smiley company invented the smiley. And now everybody is doing smiley faces. Nobody wants, you know, three stripes down their pant leg until Nike did or wait, Adidas. Damn it. Who did the three stripes? Nike? I forgot. I think it's Adidas. My God. Anyway. Yeah. Nobody wanted the swoosh until Nike. Nobody wanted the FedEx arrow until FedEx. Nobody wants anything until somebody else comes up with it and then they want it and they want to trade on the goodwill of the companies that produce it all together. And it's not like, you know, they start saying, Hey, we totally took all of this information or this graphic or whatever. And we're giving credit to this company over here and all of our, you know, profit generation, et cetera, is going to go over to that company. They don't sit there and cite that kind of stuff. They, they try and use it on their own. And that's what anybody that's using GBT is doing now since OpenAI announced chat GBT. So who really invented the name GBT in the commercial sense of its use, which is what a trademark protects. Ta-da. Right. Probably OpenAI. There you go. So says Gizmodo notes that this isn't the first time the U.S. has denied OpenAI's trademark claim for GPT. The first time was in May 2023. The company can appeal once more to the trademark trial and appeal board for another shot at getting the term GPT trademarked. Um, and I have some familiarity with this denial for what might be termed a generic term because um, it's happened in the past. So, yeah, sometimes you just go, OK, well, screw you. <laughs> um, fight it out on the market. And it certainly looks like OpenAI used the name first in 2018, but um, that's just from a quick search. Yeah. And so if you look at the application for GPT at the USPTO, it'll say first use. And if it says 2018, then they are documenting the historical use of it. What it's being used for now really shouldn't matter because it's genericide because they couldn't get the mark and defend it. That's why people go out and sue other people because they're using the mark without authorization. Because if anybody uses it, then it becomes generic. GPT isn't generic to OpenAI. Literally, OpenAI created it in the commercial sense. GPTs might have existed in the academic sense, but they're not for profit and they're not registered with the U.S. Trademark Office. Are other companies who are creating kind of um, competing products, are they calling them GPTs? I don't think so. Yeah. 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 They are? There's, yeah. Like there's, they even name one company. I here. mean, obviously they are because GPT of this too. dispute, but I yeah. mean, in general. Yeah. There's companies that are using it, but I think it's because OpenAI made it popular. Oh, look, people are recognizing GPT as a turn of phrase in our industry or in an industry in computer science. Let's start using it. That's because it became the trending term. When you go and search Google, guess what? There's going to be a 
shit ton of companies using GPT. But it's supposed to be the first person across the 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 mark, right? Like you you cross the field, you get into the end zone, you get a touchdown. And trademarks are typically like that. The first use is the key designator. Then you have to demonstrate that you've been using it consistently. If there's an appeal, if somebody contests it, then you go, look, I've been using it here, 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 here. And then the UPS, UPS, USPS, damn it, USPTO capitulates and says, fine, you get it. Via the USPS. Via email. Usually it's an email or it's a notice via email in the docket for USPTO, the little jacket. Anyway, yeah, this is kind of nuts. I mean, when you think GPT, you think chat GPT. And when you think chat GPT, you think open AI. This should have been easy. Just like one of mine should have been easy, but no, it's a pissing for distance contest now. Okay. I'm going to keep going because I'm getting all up in this and I don't want a soapbox. There you go, folks. Okay, next article. It's over in Law Nerd, big law firm. Or let, let me rephrase that. A big law firm, because a big law firm is different than a big law firm. It could be a big, big law firm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I'm not an attorney. I just play a mayor on Twitch and YouTube. I should do a kick and I should stream live to TikTok and to Facebook and everywhere. I should be all up in this place. What? Sorry, I get sidetracked. So uh, this article's over in Law Nerd, big law firm built on top of an ancient burial ground. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what was planned. What could go wrong? The post was originally over at Above the Law, um, and that's where this was sourced from. Uh, the article is from Above the Law, and Catherine Rubino is the author. And it says, uh, there's an editor's note. Welcome to our daily feature trivia question of the day. Which big law firm's location or relocation of its London office may be delayed after the Museum of London Archaeology unearthed incredibly rare artifacts, including five oak coffins, skeletal remains, a glass vial, jewelry, and a lamp beneath the location. <laughs> well, According I think to the, this is going to be a really short article. It is. It's really short. There's nothing really to it. Um, so a hint, according to the museum, the site at the firm's proposed new home at 21 Holborn Viaduct, if it has viaduct in the name, it probably has some Roman whatever, Anyway, it was used as a cemetery during the Roman era, as well as the 16th century. So down here, you can click next and see the answer, but I'm not even going to give you the answer. That's right. You're going to have to go and look it up, AI. Go look it up. There it is in chat. We're not even going to tell anybody. You're going to have to go over to Above the Law. Find the article, Big Law Firm Built on Top of an Ancient Burial Ground. What could go wrong? <laughs> to me, it doesn't even matter. I think that it's hilarious that a law firm tried to build its new building on top of a graveyard. 
But where can you not in the UK for crying out loud? That is true, but at least gives the appearance that they didn't look into much before doing this, which is pretty well, fascinating. You, you don't know what's under there. You have to dig four feet down, maybe and four inches down. You start finding cobble from somewhere and you dig four feet down. You start finding bodies. You can't dig any square four, like four inches, cubic four inches without running across some either a corpse or a building from ancient Roman days and before, and there's ancient history there. The only reason why I included that in this, in the rundown is because I think it's funny that a law firm is going to build on top of the souls of its predecessors. It's almost exactly. And this is a large firm. It has almost 3000 attorneys. Is that all? Hey, the next article is a well-known one. Well, they should have dug a well before they started digging right there. That's I, That was a stretch. I'm really sorry. <laughs> the next article is over. In Technology Today, scientists unravel mystery of orange juice off flavor. Oh, I had this way wrong. Uh, I read that as OJ, and I thought it was a different type of article. Never mind. We should probably... I know that the... Um headline that you used for the voting i thought was going to be something else yeah oj is awful right yeah uh the team at libney's uh institute for food systems biology at the technical university of munich um, has uncovered the source of a previously unidentified clove-like flavor hmm Leibniz Institute for Food Systems Biology at the Technical University of Munich. It's an article over at SciTechDaily.com. So, um, yeah, it's a clove-like off taste in orange juice. The study proves for the first time that the undesirable flavor note is due to the odorant 5-vinyl guayacol. sure sorry the stuff well, that silence. doesn't sound very appetizing <laughs> it does not vinyl sounds plasticky right just like vinyl yeah that sounds like some sort of uh it's like a 70s eco cleanup parsing. site or something yeah <laughs> super fun site it's like something that grandma used to put across her couch or something keep those damn kids off the actual fabric Blech. As a result of the study, uh, the substance is mainly produced during the pasteurization process when residues of a cleaning agent react with the orange juice component under the influence of heat. So here we go again. We find some knock-on effect of science. A cleaning agent is reacting with natural orange juice components under the influence of heat, and it's kicking out this clove-like off taste in orange juice. Hmm. Mm. Makes so you kind of rethink your orange juice consumption. You can only get it from fresh oranges from now on, which means every morning you have to cart in 16 oranges per person. Well, I was thinking more than that. You're going to have to go scale the orange tree, collect the oranges. True. All of that. Everything that you're saying needs to take place. 
to investigate the question, the research group led by Martin Stanhouse, head of the food, what, metabolome chemistry research group at the Lebanese Institute carried out extensive investigations in cooperation with the professorship of functional phytometabolics. Yeah. Wait, meta metabol metabolomics. There we go. Phytometabolomics. What the hell am I actually saying? And the chair of food chemistry and molecular sensory science at the technical institute, uh, sorry, technical university of Munich. Anyway, the aim was to so identify. It's an in oh, sorry. It's a field about, um, metabolites in a biological specimen, basically. Yeah. That <sighs> this guy can extrapolate from incomplete data. There's only the two AI types of people. And one type can extrapolate from incomplete data. The aim was to identify the odorants that caused the previously unexplained off flavor and to elucidate their origins. Ooh, I like that word, elucidate. Please explain the origins. Anyway, a natural component plus a cleaning agent residue plus heat equals off flavor. Hey, look. It's like a math equation. So what do we do? Well, we don't clean it. What to solve this? We don't clean anything, and we never ever heat it. I'm not sure that's the solution. Mmm, botulism. So yeah, they used a bunch of science, and they figured out that uh, four vinyl guaiacol is formed, but this actually mentions five vinyl guaiacol that five vinyl guaiacol is formed during pasteurization when the characteristic orange juice component hesper hesperidin reacts with parasitic acid and parasitic acid is used as a cleaning agent for cleaning in place cip in the fruit juice industry among others okay now wait a second here this is such a well-known taste in orange juice that this is happening like in the entire industry, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's not the first time they've had, um, let's see here. The presence of the substance in orange juice was previously unknown compared to four vinyl glycol. It even proved to be more odor active in five out of six commercially available orange juices with a clove-like off flavor. So there's number four vinyl guaiacol and there's number five vinyl guaiacol. Yeah, there you go. So this is actually an article that was post or not an article. It was a journal entry in food chemistry, December, 2023 parasitic acid residues in orange juice can lead to a five vinyl guaiacol induced clove like off flavor via Bayer villager oxidation of Hesper Hesperidin. Um, and then they have the author's names. So, uh, Bayer socks at all, um, quite fascinating. But this is what science is all about. Make my OJ not kill me. Too soon? That's usually good. Next article is over in Technology Today, unlocking the secrets of smoking long-term impact on the immune system. 
Research indicates smoking's long, uh, prolonged influence on immunity linked to epigenetic changes persists even after quitting. Like other factors, age, sex, genetics, smoking affects your long-term health. Institute Pasteur over at SciTechDaily.com is where this is sourced from. Um, like other factors such as age, sex, genetics, smoking has a major impact on the immune response. This is a finding recently uh, made by a team of scientists at the Institut Pasteur using the Milieu interior cohort of 1,000 healthy volunteers established uh, to understand variability in immune responses. In addition to its short-term impact on immunity, smoking also has a long-term consequence. For many years after they've quit smoking, smokers are left with effects on uh, some of their body defense mechanisms acquired during smoking. These findings, for the first time, reveal a long-term memory of the effects of smoking on immunity. And it's a weird phrase there. That has to be a translational thing. Long-term memory. There's no memory. Your brain memorizes stuff, but your cells either are modified or returned right, back that's to normal. True. There's no memory there. Anyway, uh, the effects of smoking on immunity will be published in the journal Nature on February 14th. So that was a few days ago, but this is actually published yesterday. Um, so in the last 24 hours, that's how the show works. So let me throw this into the chat real quick, and then we can go back to reviewing this article real quick. Um, so it's pretty much a given i i still i don't believe that anybody's really talking about this anymore right smoking causes cancer and causes other deleterious health effects anybody who thinks otherwise really needs to have their head checked and maybe their finances examined to see how they are bolstering the bullshit benefiting from the tobacco industry (laughs) i mean i feel like it's right now it's kind of a okay it's bad for you and it doesn't seem like there's as much discussion of it or research of it at the moment gotcha so three variables stood out smoking latent cyto uh, mega megalovirus infection and body mass index the influence of these three factors on certain immune response could equate uh could be equal to that of age sex or genetics points dara duffy um so smoking basically impacts you in different ways depending on your age your genetics your overall health Um, in other words the study shows that smoking disrupts not only innate immune mechanisms but also some adaptive immune mechanisms the comparison of immune responses in smokers and ex-smokers revealed that the inflammatory response returned to normal levels quickly after smoking cessation while the impact on adaptive immunity persisted for 10 to 15 years. This is the first time that it's been possible to demonstrate the long-term influence of smoking on immune response. So basically the immune system appears to have something resembling a long-term memory of the effects of smoking, but how? Um, Yeah, basically they say we demonstrated that the long-term effects of smoking on immune response were linked to differences in DNA methylation with the potential to modify the expression of genes involved in immune cell metabolism between smokers, ex-smokers, and non-smokers. 
So, so I mean, I guess some of the point there is, right, the effects are long-lasting, and then, of course, they might be able to be passed to generations. Well, I don't know if it... it is that something that it says? That it can actually be... Oh, a virus? Well, it can modify the expression <laughs> of genes, so possibly. Yes, well, we know, yes, yes, that's true. We know that if you smoke while you're pregnant, then it can affect the fetus. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I don't know if you stop. Sm oh, yeah. If you stop smoking, then it, it looks like if you stop smoking, that could still 15 happen. years after you stop smoking. But that doesn't mean don't stop smoking. <laughs> like, yeah, it's stop still smoking. It's to stop smoking after yeah. smoking. Exactly. Um, wow. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, I didn't extra. Hey, guess what? <laughs> this guy didn't extrapolate from incomplete data. Um, yeah, uh, that's exactly what it would mean. Uh, but we, again, I, I took it for granted. I'm really sorry. So we know that smoking while you are pregnant impacts. I wonder if this impacts the genetics of the male. <laughs> Well, right. We don't know. They did talk about gender, I think, earlier in the article, but they didn't get into any real detail. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So they investigated 136 variables, body mass index, smoking, number of hours of sleep, exercise, childhood illnesses, vaccinations, living environment. Then they put etc. like I'm supposed to extrapolate from the eight that they list out to 136 it makes me right, want to read I the mean, article what are those etc <laughs> that's awesome that is really awesome so yeah yeah they do mention sex so um fascinating so wow can you imagine 15 years later you you were a smoker when you were younger you have a kid at 30 you can negatively impact the the long-term health of your child because you smoke um, for 10 years, you know, from 20 to 30, you smoked, you stopped. Yeah. I mean, you have to really be a dimwit nowadays to smoke cigarettes um, or at least not to, to willfully do it. We understand addiction. Go get treatment. Find a way to stop. Wean yourself off of it. Right, but it's hard to understand somebody picking it up and starting now, knowing right. everything we know about smoking. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that I'll hear from somebody that goes, well, I don't want to have kids. All right. I don't want you to have kids either. <laughs> have kids because you want them. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, so the next article is over on hometown daily. This indoor farming company is trying to win workers over to agriculture through desk job benefits. I swear we have talked about this company before. Uh, Eden green uses high tech systems to grow greens indoors and reduce the unpredictability of farming. The company also aims to draw workers by offering health insurance, paid leave and a 401k. By moving agriculture closer to urban centers, it can find workers and distribute food more easily. Hmm. I don't Ooh. think we've ever heard that in Old Town. The first time Stasia Lewis, or Stasia, 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 
um, Lewis stepped into the massive greenhouse with 18 foot high walls of romaine and butterhead lettuce. They knew they had to work there. I want to work there. <laughs> exactly. So we may the, have seen something about this company, but I don't think it's been recently. Uh, the articles over at business insider, Tim paradise is the author. Maybe it's just something similar, but at some point, Oh, the reason why I thought it's the same company is because they had walls on one side that was pure lettuce and they could slide them over and there was another That's right. wall. <laughs> we had that, I think a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like container ship kind of a thing. Um, so Eden green grows staples like lettuce and cooking greens in large greenhouses in Cleburne, Texas. Um, oh, had me at lettuce and cooking greens in large greenhouses and swiped it out from under me. It's okay. Talk about getting kneecapped. So the moving agriculture, uh, closer to urban centers thing is something that I've been a very big proponent of whenever I get the chance, I promote this idea of uh, basically micro farms within communities so that people can just go there and get it instead of having to wait for mega corporations to control everything and then haphazardly bring it to you and uh, all kinds of predation and all other chemicals and blah, blah, blah. Meh. So um, the article is uh, again over at Business Insider and they say things like this. Uh, that was three years ago at Eden Green Technology when Lewis got the job. They never considered a career in agriculture, even after having grown up wandering through the hoop houses that dot their aunt's homestead. But Eden Green, which uses high-tech systems to grow staples like arugula lettuce and cooking greens like kale and chard in Cleburne, Texas, where Lewis was raised, won them over. And there they are. And there's the lettuce. Those are big, bold. That lettuce and, looks very good. I was just about to finish that sentence. Big, bold, and beautiful green lettuce. Very nice. So uh, the company is also trying to take on another challenge many farms face finding enough workers to do that. Eden green wants to make agriculture feel like other careers. It offers health insurance, paid leave, and it recently introduced a 401k benefits, not always available to traditional farm workers. Usually it's because it's household and you just do gig work. You hire somebody, they run through the farm and then you boot them out. Hopefully uh, nobody gets busted because it was all done under the table, but you know, big business. Sorry, I'm, I froze up there. Um, Eden Green's playbook involves going where the people are. Cleburne, with a population of about 34,000, sits on the edge of a sprawling Dallas-Fort Worth region. That means Eden Green can truck produce to nearby grocery distribution centers and operate in an area with a large enough population to attract job candidates. It's not bad. What do you think? Well, I think this is more of what is needed um i mean this is going to appeal to a different group of workers um it's going to cut down on pollution and um, time etc to get the produce to the consumer um and i think it's it's good to have vertical farming right we don't have enough land to do um traditional farming everywhere Plus we have water usage problems, et cetera. Yep. So at its facility of nearly 83,000 square feet, Eden Green does its growing without soil, a process called hydroponics. 
uses 98% less water and 99% less land than traditional farming. It really, I don't know what they're talking about, less land. Um, that 1% seems like it's even high for what they're doing. Other yeah, than the does. carbon footprint for the entire building, I suppose. But I don't know. I, I really, I think 100% less land for traditional farming because they don't use the land for farming. They use the land for protection of the crop that's inside it and administrative purposes. It's uh, a convergence that f conventional farms can never duplicate. The company is adding greenhouses in Cleburne that will triple, triple, triple its growing capacity. In the next five years, it plans to build 20 greenhouses across the U.S. So I guess the top is open to let sun in, um, which is interesting in vertical farms because I don't know how they get to the bottom of the stack. But right, maybe. unless it has some rotation ability, which I don't think those do. But that just gave me an idea. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's see. Oh my gosh. If I can make that happen. Okay. Anyway, it says Eden Green has 13 harvests a year, which is basically what we have more than that. We, if we do the rotation, uh, we can do it. We can do a crop uh, every week. We can so, do about, yeah, almost 52. Yeah. There's some lag year. sometimes. Not because, quite, but yeah. Yeah. We don't babysit it, but um it once the rotation starts you basically are are doing yeah quite a bit so they do 13 but they have a bigger crop uh, we do microgreens so their workers have to be uh in every single day to plant to tend to harvest to pack which is true eden pays 14 to 25 dollars its hourly workers who like uh, who do things like seeding tending to plants harvesting putting goods in clamshell packaging uh, they need to get away from the clamshell packaging because the plastic poisons the food anyway um now you can argue with me i'm sure somebody will even from eden green that it doesn't poison them but microplastics will probably be present in their uh crop if they're using sorry yeah, I put that in chat. Um, if they're using right. plastic clamshell packaging, then it's probably imparting microplastics. Um, someone with a high school degree can start at the base and work their way up. Oh, well, how gatekeeping of you. Um, and often in his experience, younger workers like the idea of doing something meaningful to society. Yes, the current each generation seems to have some level of... <laughs> social uh consciousness or benefit in mind when they take their jobs they want to do good for society uh, right they like, don't want just a job they want something yeah. meaningful yeah exactly so and they say that there's room to advance but um i don't know there's always strat in a company particularly one that like this that might be growing get it uh <clears throat> bad joke Anyway, um, I dig this. I think that this is um, pretty amazing. Um, it's maybe a little marketing-ish, but it is what it is. Um, I like the idea of vertical farms. You get more in uh, the square feet because you go vertical and you use less water. You don't have any worry about soil contamination. 
you're not going to get E. coli in any of this crop. You're not going to get bacterial stuff or uh, viruses or mold or anything um, because it rotates out before anything can be contaminated and you get 100% harvest. So, and anything that's waste like roots gets put into a composter and after a period of time, you sterilize it and you throw it back into the rotation somewhere else. But inside this is nothing more than water and the original crop that's going to be growing to fruition. So I love this idea. Yeah, man, I would love to do this. Uh, the next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel. People in this remote valley. Sorry, I, I was going to say a hidden valley. Hidden Valley, remember? Hidden Valley Ranch. Hidden Valley Ranch um, or uh, Pepperidge Farms remembers. Um, people in this remote valley live to 100. They follow five distinct diet and lifestyle habits for longevity. This is an uh, article that's over at um, CNBC. I don't know how deep they'll go into this, but I, I do this reluctantly. Uh, because what I end up doing is peeling back the layers of the onion as to why this might be bullshit. But let's take a look, an honest look, um, because it is, I always look honestly at this stuff. I have no bias here. I want to know how to live to a hundred and not just be a lump on a log somewhere, right? So people in a remote area of Hunza Valley, Pakistan, lived a hundred years or beyond. Samantha Shea, who has been living there for two years, is suddenly 102 years. No, I'm kidding. Um, exactly. Shares their diet and lifestyle secrets for longevity. So this is Samantha Shea. She's a contributor for Make It CNBC um, and is going to go through this little list. They consume apricot seeds and oil. Okay. What um, I like about this article is that is not the typical thing you see listed. Correct. Um, they, there's a, a, a like a rundown of who these people are and, and where they are. Um, but my problem with this is they have a completely different lifestyle and their genetic, their genetics and epigenetics are fundamentally different because not everybody can be born from this village and then strike out to, you know, far flung shores. Not everybody is here. Um, so they say with minimal amenities and rudimentary health facilities, studies have found that the average life expectancy here is around 100 average. Um, so they consume apricot seeds and oil. One of the most important uh, local crops in the valley. Studies have shown that apricot seeds can fight cancer and other sources of inflammation in the body, in part due to a compound called uh, amygdalin. Which, why do I know that term? We've heard oh. of that somewhere else, but I don't think related to apricots. Is that a weight loss thing? Hold on. Um, Sorry for the silence, y'all. Hmm. It's in other nuts and plants, so that's I don't know, maybe why. it's been mentioned somewhere else. How long does it take for amygdalin to convert to cyanide? That's why I was sitting there going why is apricot seeds something that i know yeah so this stuff actually eventually uh, converts into cyanide if i remember right um but yeah um 
It has other active ingredients, obviously, but uh, nearly every traditional Hunzai dish includes apricot oil. Back in the day, it was made by hand, but now locals use machines. Um, they never stop moving. Well, survival means that you're going to go do stuff. No, uh, locals of all ages cycle, skate, and play sports like soccer and cricket every day. Uh, they also participate in a community activity like uh, Rajaki, which involves cleaning out the elevated water canals when spring arrives. Hey, um, they drink glacial glacier water. Um, okay, is that it? Unzai glacier water looks like straight from the source. Oh, so it has, they think it has silica in it. Interesting. It has, contains quartz, um, which is silica. Is that, that's not spelled right. No, it has too many L's. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, silica is a desiccant and you're not supposed to imbibe it. So. But um, you might live to a hundred if you do. <laughs> Yeah, because you're being slowly preserved. Preserved, yeah. Uh, they rarely eat processed foods. Uh, we can all hope. Not all of us can run out and catch a cow. And I mean, a free range animal because cows are domesticated. But, you know, we can't all run out. And, um, but vegetables, there you go. You can always do that. Switch to being a vegetarian or a vegan. And your doctor will apparently, whenever you see them, thank you for being a vegetarian. As opposed to my doctor that says, how are you still alive? <laughs> Actually, one a, a doctor I once saw um, after a really bad head cold said, well, Marwat, your warranty is up. <laughs> and I never, <laughs> I've never forgotten. Not what you want to hear. That is, yeah, that in. Hmm. Interesting case. No, no, no. You don't want to be either of those. <laughs> um, they have strong community values. Oh, that's right. What keeps me alive longer is my strong community values. All right. So neighborhoods and villages are tight knit and the people of Hunza take care of each other, especially the older members of the community. Retirement homes don't exist here. Elders are highly respected and attended by their families. How many people are in this actual community? Essentially zero crime. Essentially zero crime. All right. Right. That's not the same as zero. <laughs> what do they do with their criminals, by the way? Kind of curious. That's a good question. Mm. No. Maybe Marwat. they banish them from the community. Yeah. Like no more apricot um, seeds for you. Hold on. Um, you know, you know me. Oh, there's 40, 47,000 people in the Hunza Valley. Okay. That's higher than I would have expected. Yeah. That is quite a bit more. <laughs> quite I was a bit thinking drop some zeros, basically. Yeah, really. I was thinking maybe 466, not... 47,000 people. That's actually quite a bit. Um, anyway. Well, and with the average um, lifespan being 100, that's more impressive in that population size. Yeah, that's very. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, not everybody can go and tackle a yak and just start going to town, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna eat you yak! This tastes like yak. Our last article for tonight, at least for Hometown Daily, right after this we've got uh, Reality Hacker. So, ready to go beyond Google, here's how to use new generative AI search sites, which I have not used yet. thought this was an interesting uh, lead on maybe a new source for search results. But remember folks, AI hallucinates, so you might click on something and it's the riskiest damn click you've ever done. A lot of people think Google searches are getting worse. So let's try to just be lucky no matter what. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure this is the solution. Yeah. Ready to go beyond Google. Here's how to use new generative AI search sites. And this is an article by Kelvin Chan, an AP business writer. So I'm let's not go into all of the stuff here. I want to see if they say a site. Jiminy. Um, let's see. Hold on. I guess I'm going to have to scan a lot of this. So while Google is has been the one-stop shop for decades, after all, we commonly call searches Googling. Long-term dominance has attracted a flood of sponsored or spammy links and junk content fueled by search engine optimization techniques. Uh, Google being DuckDuckGo is indeed declining. Um, it's interesting that they put those three together. DuckDuckGo um, is one that touts not tracking you. Now, chatbots powered by generative artificial intelligence, including Google itself, are poised to shake up how search works. If you want to try, here's how. Google users don't have to look far. They've got Bard. But recently retired that name and replaced it with a similar service. Uh, so the real way to say this word is Gemini, not Gemini. Suppose. Okay, we'll try to get used to it. At least NASA says it's Gemini. I say Gemini. Anyway, Bard users are now directed, redirected to the Gemini site, which can be accessed directly on desktop or mobile browsers. Gemini app also launched in the U.S. this month and rolling out in uh, Japanese, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's see here. Google's been testing out the new search offering dubbed search generative experience that replaces links with an AI generated snapshot of key info, which dear God, no, I just want the link to the damn site. Not your interpretation of it, hallucination and I agree. bullshit ridden links. Um, on the Bing search homepage, click on the chat or co-pilot button underneath the search window and you'll get a conversational interface where you can type out all of your woes and co-pilot will document it and then sell you to the nearest mental health practitioner. Oh, wow. No, I, I, that's not what it says in the article. Anyway, on the Bing search homepage, click on the chat or co-pilot button beneath the search window and you'll be given a conversational interface where you can type your question. There's also the co-pilot app, a slew of startup AI sites. They're all going to be using chat GBT on the back end, by the way. A standard Google. Uh, I honestly, I don't know what they're going to be using, but a but standard not trademarked. Google. And not trademarked. Yeah. Nothing says GPT on it. 
uh, Perplexity, Hugging Chat, U.com, Como, Andy, Find, Exa, and Ask AI. It's like it's straight out of uh, the. It's dot, like the AIs made the names. The original .com era, before it went bust, was all like this. Ask Jeeves. Now it's Ask AI. You know. That's right. Everything old is new again, and soon we'll have lawsuits. Um, startup sites are largely free to use and don't require setting up an account. Many also have premium levels where you apparently, I don't know, maybe get less bullshit. Uh, rather than typing in a string of keywords, AI query should be conversational. For example, is Taylor Swift the most successful female musician or which is subjective, um, or where are some good places to travel in Europe? Sorry, I don't know what's happening under my desk. Never mind. Anyway, if you're not satisfied with the answer, some sites let you follow up uh, with additional questions to zero in on information needed. Some give you suggested or related questions. All of them provide you with bullshit. They can shine when you're searching for an obscure factoid, such as, say, a detail about a European Union policy. Answers from fin.com or find. Uh, probably find because f i n d was taken and they needed to do a spelling bee um we're among the most readable and consistently were provided in a narrative form but the site has mysteriously gone offline at some points testing a simple query what's the average temperature of london in the second half of february produced a similar range of results on most sites 79 degrees celsius or 45 to 48 fahrenheit Andy strangely provided current weather conditions for New York, though it used the correct city during another try later on. So it's hit or miss. <laughs> so trustworthy. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry. So, yeah, I don't know. This was less of a, I mean, it was informative to let me know about a bunch of sites, uh, but less here's how to use generative AI search sites. Right, I don't think that's exactly what we got. This is more like here's kind of what's out here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was an interesting article, but all right. But that's it, folks. That is Hometown Daily News for February 17th, 2024. I am Marwat. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we get back into the part uh, out of here, we got to go all the way back down Main Street in the party bus. I'm going to mash the button and regret it. I know it. And then we're going to say I'm Marwat and that's hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that's throwing me warning messages like don't hit, don't hit that. Oh, you hit it. Then they're going to say good night. <laughs> good night, hometown citizens. We will see you shortly for the Reality Hacker Show and then tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern or another episode of hometown daily followed by the continuity report. Cheers, everybody. Come on back for reality hacker. Bye-bye.